Welcome to Around the Outside, the podcast for the Formula One fanatic with me, Jake Peach and Chris Moss. Thank you for stopping by and listening to our podcast. Don't forget if you haven't already, make sure you do subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a new episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search Around the Outside podcast on Facebook and we're at ATO podcast underscore on Twitter and Instagram. In this episode, we're going to delve into what happened during a hot sunny afternoon in the Northampton and Buckinghamshire countryside last week. Who we think could have done better and our thoughts too on that big incident that has taken social media by storm, of course, and where better place to start. Let's get right into it. So, Jake, what a race we had on Sunday. Uh, An absolute packed out Grand Prix, 140,000 fans. Obviously, I was one of them cheering on all the guys and, and girls. But yeah, what a race we had. I mean, the start was what we all wanted to see, both protagonists up against each other, fighting to get that lead. Uh, and obviously we had three overtaking manoeuvres before, you know, we get to Cop's Corner. And, well, what do you what do you make of that incident? Yeah, it's the only thing that anyone, anyone's been talking about, isn't it, really? We've had opinions from both sides. We've had lots of fans on Twitter for the British side and then loads of fans on Twitter from the Dutch side and the Dutch pundits. You can imagine what the opinions are of each country and each pundit alike and and fans too. Um, My thoughts from watching it at home and what I saw on the TV, um, I have to go along with uh, quite a lot of what um, the pundits said in the UK, uh, Jolene Palmer, Karen Chandok, um, people like that. It was 50-50 and they should have both given each other more room. That's my verdict. And basically, you know, Hamilton put it up the inside there, which which is kind of, it's not the usual move. Um, he did do it in 2008 in the wet against Heike Kovalainen, but I think he was a bit more conservative in, in that sense. But um, I think Max was expecting him to concede when he when he was alongside with, with, with Lewis, because Lewis has done that on a number of occasions throughout the the previous races in the season, we think back to Imola in the wet. Uh, Hamilton conceded there, went over, right over the sausage curves. We think about Barcelona. Uh, Hamilton backed out of that one. And then the previous day in the sprint race, Hamilton went for a move and backed out of that one too. So I feel like Hamilton's patience with those kind of moves and and statesmanship had kind of reached, its, reached the end of its tether and um, needs to get his elbows out because, of course, he was losing... Losing sort of pace and 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 he was losing ground on the drivers' championship, and he was on his home circuit. So, you know, I feel like having been shrouded in the orange smoke at the uh, Red Bull Ring only the race before, felt like he needed to uh, stake his own claim at his home circuit. Is that how you saw it, or or not really? I mean, we we us in the crowd, we were you know constantly cheering. We were watching on the big screens. Um, and then we saw the collision and we're like we were cheering because like we were seeing moves and then all of a sudden you just see Red Bull flying through the gravel 180 mile an hour into the wall. We was we were all cheering because Hamilton had got the move done, not realising Max had had a massive, massive accident. Um and then once yeah, it, once we realised, oh, this is this is big, 
like we, we all went it went quite quiet um and then obviously not long after that they brought the safety car and, and the red flag out but you know going back to you know your thoughts on it it was very much um like a freeway split in a way of blame a third a third of people were saying max is at fault uh, a third of people say Lewis is at fault, and then there's another portion saying that they think it's just a racing incident. And you know, if you listen to a lot of um, you know for, former racing drivers, you know, as you say, Karun Chandok and Jolyon Palmer being two of them, the the guys that used to race Formula One, they're leaning more with racing incident. They both they they think Lewis could have been closer to the apex, which is the main reason why Lewis ended up getting a ten second penalty, was because he wasn't close enough to the apex as to what the stewards would have preferred him to have been. Um, but also Max, you know, we we saw it later in the race with Charles Leclerc. Max could have just given Lewis the room, gone a little bit wider, and then say he would have had the straight line speed down the hangar straight to hold on. I mean, I think the biggest thing for Max is the fact that he if he had done what Charles Leclerc did he would have still been massively ahead in the championship you know he, he didn't need to win the race he doesn't need to win the race he's got such a lead I mean it was 33 points by the time uh, Sunday came about you know l- only losing seven points is not going to be a big deal I know you want to win every race and the bigger thing is to stop Lewis winning on his home circuit but if you're thinking for the championship, second place is, you know, more than good enough. For Lewis, he needed to win. Like, the win was the only thing he was focused on. You know, and the fact that the collision then happened, Max is out of the Grand Prix, and Lewis survives and stays in the Grand Prix, that's a massive, massive momentum shift in favour of Lewis Hamilton. I mean, we, we heard from uh, Andrew Shovelin uh, about couple of days after the Grand Prix and he said that if the red flag had never have happened due to the contact Lewis had he would have been forced to retire from the race and a lot of people are like well you got a 10 second penalty but why were they allowed to fix things under the red flag obviously it is part of the rules they're out of part firme they're allowed to fix anything and now a lot of people are like well can you change the rules so this doesn't happen again and you know I feel a lot of things are going to change um, after this accident and we've been saying it for quite probably since monaco it's been quite a while we've been saying it but we we've been waiting for an accident between these two and Mm -hmm. we saw it when neither of them were given an inch like and and because neither of them wanted to give that inch a collision was made albeit a very big one at 180 mile an hour or something like that 300 kilometers an hour is reported at yeah quickest corner on the track yeah by far and you know it's, it's only going to get potentially worse between these. They're going to have more incidents throughout the season. We saw it when, you know, Rosberg and Hamilton were at it, Senna, Prost, Hill, Schumacher. You know, when, when you've got two big drivers going for a title and it's now ever so closer, you know, you're going to get more of these incidents. Well, I, when there was a moment that David Croft was talking to um, Otmar and, and Schnaffauer on the Aston Martin pitbull um because he was the team principal that sort of agreed to talk to the the commentary team that weekend and um of course aston martin are mercedes powered so they're obviously not going to side too much probably on on red bull on red bull terms because they're a customer team however um otmar said if that's not a racing incident he didn't know what was 
So that was that was quite controversial to to put his his stamp down on that. But we've also seen lately. I mean, with Lando and Sergio Perez. I mean, mm, mm. that was a, a five second penalty for Lando Norris, but yet he didn't really do anything wrong. Like they, they were just battling, and Perez came off worse. Even Christian Horner back then was like, "That's not a penalty," you know. So, and then obviously this time around, because. Maybe it's the fact that it's not their second driver and the fact that it is Max Verstappen, the guy leading the championship, the, the one that they put all their eggs in the basket for. I mean, Red Bull were very, very much harsher penalty than what Hamilton already got. You know, Helmut Marko is now saying that he wants Hamilton to be suspended for a race. And, you know, you got you got 66% of people saying, hang on a minute, we don't even think it's Lewis's fault. You know, former pros are saying that they think it's a 50-50 incident. So I feel like it's very much down to the drivers who were involved as to the outcome of the penalty should have been or what they want to come out of it. I know Red Bull are thinking about protesting to the FIA saying that they want a harsher penalty. I mean, they can't lobby against the 10-second penalty in race because it's already been served and, you know, once the race is ended, that's it. But I, I, don't, I don't see why Hamilton would be getting a race ban for this. We've seen, by far, way worse incidents than this. Drivers still coming out okay and, you know, they've not even had, like, a fine or anything. I mean, motorsport is a very dangerous sport. And, you know... Anytime you put your gloves and helmet on, you risk your life doing something that you love. Albeit we don't want to see incidents like this and I'm not condoning the incident at all and it is very bad and we're very grateful that Max is uninjured. But at some point you do have to sort of realise something does have to give, whether it be an incident like this for things to calm down again. But, you know, I don't, I don't see in any way shape or form Lewis Hamilton getting a secondary penalty on top of the 10 second he got within the race no it seems it seems a bit excessive to do that and you talking about changing the red flag rules as well right it might not have been in Red Bull's favour this time but say that Red Bull are on the other end of the incident and you know they're obviously saying oh that's of course that's not a penalty um Hamilton moved across and uh, yes, he's in the wall. It looked worse than it was and, and blah, blah, blah. You know, if we change the rules, then it's only to fix the problem at that stage. The rules currently, as they are for the red flag or fixing cars or that kind of thing, would then favour Red Bull in another situation. So I feel like those kind of solutions that they're talking about are only, they're very reactionary. They're not, they're not sort of thinking outside the box. Um, and it's just a bit, it's it's obviously emotions are running high, you know. It's 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 more of that rather than thinking practically, um, and there probably will be in the season. There probably will be. There might be another red flag, and and the Mercedes will be out. You just don't know. I just feel like it's a very short sighted comment to to put across. I think. Yeah, it's um, it, it, it. I think Red Bull. I mean, a lot of people are saying they've been quite salty, which. You can very much understand, but you can also understand why they're so angry as well, having lost. I mean, I mean they didn't score a single point mm. across the Grand Prix due to the fact that they then went and pitted Sergio Perez to steal the fastest point. Which which obviously has big 
it has big ramifications for the constructors' title as yeah, well. They, They've got they, sort of two the hats on. They're now down to four points. Obviously, it's now seven or eight in the drivers between Max and Lewis. So both championships have taken a massive hit on Red Bull. Um, mm. But and they'll want to capitalise on that before going to the the new rule changes absolutely. and capitalising on, on this performance because the new rules could totally decimate all that. Absolutely. I mean, we've got new rules coming in for for the next Grand Prix in Hungary. I mean, we've got the the pit lane safety rules, which are going to slow the pit stops down by about three tenths of a second. Mm. So, <laughs> you know, the, the team that's going to lose out on this is going to be Red, Red Bull. Bull. Mm. So. Um, it's very much swings and roundabouts uh, and we saw you know the DAS system with Mercedes you know that affected them massively and obviously Aston Martin as well who followed the Mercedes design but you know some teams are going to get more affected than others and because Red Bull are so quick in the pit stops this this rule change coming up for Hungary is going to affect them the most doesn't seem fair but um, I guess life isn't fair and motorsport is uh, very competitive on and off the track of course Um, that crash that Verstappen had going side on at Cops into the barriers, um, totaling nearly 750,000 euros. I mean, it's just a ridiculous amount of money. And with the cost caps that have been introduced this year because of COVID-19 and the financial pressures, that's going to hurt as well, big time. Oh, it's going to hurt massively. I mean, we saw when Bottas and George Russell had that incident, you know, that was half a million euros in damages for Valtteri Bottas and Mercedes. I mean, this takes Red Bull up that level. And, you know, I know developments are going to be a lot shorter coming through the season for this year. But, you know, that's potential, you know, a big upgrade that they won't be able to fork out for anymore. Um, You know, even if, you know, tiny little parts, you know, they run out of front wings by the end of the season, all because of this big incident, you know, that could have massive ramifications later in the year. Um, but anyway, we're gonna we're gonna move away from from lap one. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like we've got, to talk 50, about. we've got another fifty one <laughs> laps to discuss. But um, I mean, driver of the day got uh, nominated at the end of the race, and I feel that the driver that won that very much deserved it on merit, and that would be Charles Leclerc. Had an incredible restart once after the incident, and um, he he led for you know every lap up until the last two. In a Ferrari, which we were getting reports um, on the speakers saying that his engine kept cutting out. And you could see like Hamilton was closing in, got, get, got back into DRS zone. But the Ferrari engine and, you know, the car, it handled something we never imagined a track like Silverstone. It just had pace. It had, you know, the ability to maintain what it needed to. And it was probably Ferrari's strongest race this season, like, and that's included Monaco, where you know they got a second place, but this one was purely on merit on on race pace itself. And that was out of nowhere, of course. Charles Leclerc, people weren't really having their eyes on Ferrari. They've had a very roller coaster of last few races. Um, up there, they're not up there. And, and Charles Leclerc, we know he's got the talent anyway, and will take any opportunity. But found himself in P1 and managed to hold off Hamilton for a you know a good number of laps, and the pace in that Ferrari was incredible uh, and and how he was keeping the pace up he was suffering from those engine cuts though which was really strange and quite worrying for the tofosi i guess um and don't know how he managed that but as you as you were telling me yesterday chris off off the podcast he somehow managed to 
make up the time that he'd lost from the engine cutting and kept Hamilton honest and and the gap there. But then of course, of course Hamilton pitted and then um, really Mercedes was the faster car on the day. Um, if we're if we're being honest and 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 on merit and on paper, it was always going to be Hamilton catching him if he didn't make a mistake. But um, yeah, hats off to Leclerc. I mean, we really can never write him off. And this well, this just puts his ability well and truly on the map again as to you know how impressive he he really is as a driver he came obviously through Sauber the seen as the sister team for for Ferrari and was impressing really early on there getting some really good points finishes and uh, he's kind of just never stopped really going on from there really young as well like like Verstappen um and sort of the two protégés coming through so yeah, yeah amazing performance Absolutely. And say Ferrari was celebrating the 70th anniversary of their first F1 win uh, during this weekend as well. And, you know, we, we were lucky enough to watch Charles Leclerc drive around in the very car that got the first win. Um, it, it was absolutely incredible. Um, but something you were telling me was that the last driver to have driven that car actually ended up winning that Grand Prix, which you were telling me was Fernando Alonso. So he was only two laps away from doing and emulating Fernando, but I, I think a second place, albeit so close to the end, will feel like a, a, a big victory for, for the team from Maranello. It's a massive victory. I think as well, the the hot weather, and what it was something like 28 degrees on that day, wasn't it, Chris? Keep, keep, going. Like that. keep, keep going. Keep going. 30, 33? Yeah, but no, something that, like that. that. I mean, the track, the, the track temperature was 51 degrees before the Grand Prix started. Um, and we know that Ferraris perform quite well in hot weather um, for one reason or another. So probably played into their favour a lot. Um, where else were there big performances on, on the grid? I think Lando Norris, he's now um, the... More the most point finishes consecutively uh, as a McLaren driver. I think he holds yeah, that record now with does. 15. Um, it just keeps getting more and more impressive for McLaren and, and Lando Norris leading the charge. And Ricardo has finally got a little bit of a grips on the car uh, with a, a nice fourth and fifth place finish, which has been really good for the Woking-based team and um, building on their progress ever more. It's just quite astounding how they're pulling all these results together at the moment. Yeah, McLaren had an absolute great Grand Prix. Um, McLaren probably had one of the biggest supports um, mm. throughout throughout mm. the Grand Prix. There was quite a lot of Max fans, um, quite a lot of Mercedes fans. But the one that you saw the most was probably Lando Norris. He's got an incredible following at Silverstone this year. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a phenomenal race for him. Obviously, gutted that he didn't get on the podium. We would have loved to have seen... Uh, Lando there, but um, which yeah, was which 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 was a possibility at one point because had the pit stop not been delayed by four seconds, he possibly might have kept in there at third and ruffled Bottas's feathers a little, but it wasn't to be. No, um, but say Daniel Ricciardo, uh, you, you could see like the, the gap just kept growing between the two McLaren drivers, mm-hmm. um, but importantly, it was one of the better races for Ricardo. I mean, fifth place is nothing to be sniffed at. No, but, no. you know, he's, he's slowly, slowly building up where he needs to be and where, where Lando already is. Um, but also, Carlos Sainz, you know, he, he, you know, was down the grid at one point and he, he was challenging and them, them two had a great battle in the midfield um, all race. They were looking to try and overtake each other. It never happened for Carlos, but, you know, Ferrari, you know, they're still battling with... McLaren for that third place. 
Yeah, no, it's um, Carlos signs as well. Really, I don't know. He's he's got Charles Leclerc as a teammate, so it's always going to be very very difficult to try and try and emulate him. But we know that signs has has got the ability. I think people with signs have said that he's made a few mistakes on occasion, and that's kind of been the difference. It's the consistency. Um, but yeah, I mean, very much pushing each other as as they go along. And the signs name, of course, in motorsport, very prestigious as well. So he has that behind him as well. And where else should we look as well? Because of course, uh, there's so much to talk about with the this Grand Prix weekend. It was the first sort of full capacity event, but with that came the glitz and the glamour of the new format that they were trialing with the the sprint format and the Friday qualifying. And as a fan there, Chris, how strange or 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 not strange did that feel and do you feel like it was a success um I, th- I think it's still very much mixed emotions i know so i i, I missed qualifying because yeah you know, i was coming to meet you actually <laughs> um and yeah so i was sitting in the car park watching the end of qualifying um and obviously lewis hamilton got fastest qualifier but didn't get pole position no um, but he qualified to which f- first for the to start the sprint race for the sprint race that is correct and um but that, it, it was such an exciting qualifying session i mean the the driver of qualifying by far hands over fist george russell two races in a row he's got that williams into q3 this time i think it was p7 I feel like P7 he got, yeah. And um, yeah, and that was purely on merit. And he's like, I don't know how we're getting the ninth fastest car on the grid and getting these results. But he's just becoming a phenomenal driver. And, you know, the British crowd would have roared through to get him uh, to that position. I mean, if if you're listening to the qualifying, the biggest cheer in Q2 was George Russell making it into Q3. That was bigger than Lewis Hamilton's fastest lap time as well. But yeah, George Russell, absolutely incredible uh, qualifying. Coming to the sprint race though, obviously Max got got the jump on Lewis. For whatever reason, that side of the grid, the less greppier side of the grid, seemed to be the better one to start on we, we saw it obviously with lewis in the grand prix as well that he got a better launch compared to max but it was again the same in the f2 race that side of the grid was was just better um which probably is a little bit surprising seeing as the racing line goes on, on obviously the pole side but yeah the sprint race happened um i didn't particularly watch a whole much of it because again i was out on the saturday but you know it, it seemed to be you know a bog standard race but i feel that it 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 benefited the grand grand prix on the sunday i feel like because lewis saw what max did in the sprint race he knew he couldn't afford to let that happen again i feel like oh i'll give you give you the win on saturday but i'm coming for you on sunday i feel like it gave it the race that extra edge which I think if that's what Formula One were looking for, then it was a success. I don't agree with giving pole position for the Grand Prix for the win of the sprint race. I feel like if you qualify, then that's where it is, and then do like a mixed grid where like top ten reverse around or whatever, something like that. Or Spice even, it up that or way. You, yeah, or even just treat it separately, so it's just like um, well, like in GP two, like it's a 
a feature race, but in in the t- in the sense of feature, we're talking about just more for the spectacle, like an exhibition, and that and there are sort of minimal the same minimal points, like the three, two, one points on offer. Um, but I feel like if if that's how F one wanted to spice up the race, I feel like in that way it was a success. Um, we'll obviously see during the next time. I think the next one potentially could be Monza um, for the sprint race, but. You know, I think for a first outing, it it wasn't as disappointing as I what what I thought it was going to be. No, not as disappointing as some previous formats or changes to to Formula One weekends. That's yeah, for like, sure. Like that hideous qualifying <laughs> one back from twenty sixteen. Yeah, where where they just sat in the garage and and didn't drive out anyway because it was pointless. I can't remember the parameters, but they, it was like a time limit rather than yeah. yeah. Well, they just said you, you they just got it, knocked out if your time went down. Yeah, it was basically like knockout, wasn't it? Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was not good. But the sprint sprint format, I think, I think yeah, with a few tweaks, I reckon be here to stay and quite an exciting addition. And if they keep it at certain Grand Prix, only you know, so it's special. So there's special events, um, like three or four races in a year, so that it can sort of be the anticipation could be built up to rather than it feeling like a a chore every weekend. If that makes if that makes sense. Um, right, that's loads that we've talked about the British Grand Prix. There was obviously loads to talk about. Um, we're going to re- review the Hungarian Grand Prix in the next episode here on Around the Outside to kind of split it away because we've got a bit of a week's break till we come up there. Um, but before we leave you, let's catch up with all the latest F1 news off the back of the British Grand Prix. So, Jake, obviously at the end of the British Grand Prix, um, a bit of a disappointing one for Sebastian Vettel having to retire. Um, had, just had a little bit of a, a nightmare, really, spinning after the uh, restart of the race. Um, and then Aston Martin calling him in to retire the car. You know, to be fair, you know, Sebastian Vettel not, not having a huge amount of support from the British fans uh, in previous years. But everybody did give him a round of applause when he when he went into the pits to retire. So that, that was nice to see. And um, he repaid some of the um, fans who stayed later on to help clean up by helping them clean up uh, himself, uh, emptying uh, some of the stands that, you know, quite a lot of the messy people decided to just leave their rubbish. Um, and obviously, being the fact he's in a green car, um, obviously being a, trying to help uh, and be a, a good eco-warrior. So it was good to see. And obviously, some of the fans were repaid by seeing Seb and obviously get and to chat to him as well, which uh, must have been very nice for them. Yeah, and it, it was it's great to see him, you know, caring about the the other side of of just you know not being in the car. And as you say, he had a disappointing day. He could have just gone to his motorhome and and wallowed in self pity and wonder what they could have done better. But I guess you know he's matured now and um, kind of deals with disappointment a lot better. He's, he's had a few of those situations throughout his career. And uh, as well as being in the stands and clearing up all of that, I, I saw um, um, a post on social media sort of a day after that saying he actually visited a nearby waste plant as well um, and seeing how how they dispose of their waste, recycle certain things and, and just learning how the UK are doing it. Because the Germans, of course, are very efficient. I think in Germany it has like one of the biggest uh, waste disposal plants in the whole of Europe or even may possibly even in the world. Um, so it was nice to sort of see him 
being out further in the community as well. And before the Grand Prix with Aston Martin, he was uh, out with a, a group of school children building a sort of a, a beehive home, if you like, um, to encourage more bees and the ecosystem in, in the local area around there. So um, along with Nico Rosberg, another German, Sebastian Vettel cares very much about his surroundings and the environment. And uh, of course, it was a lovely touch and gesture to see him going into the stands after the Grand Prix, which of course, when you're a multi-million paid um multi-million pound paid driver you don't have to do that so it's very nice for him to take some of his time out after the grand prix um obviously some reaction in the days prior uh <laughs> off the back of the lewis and max collision of course everyone's been talking about it and still are in in various facebook groups and on social media on instagram memes are plenty as well um toto wolf of course team principal of mercedes patronus amg um Says that Christian Horner's reaction was kind of too much during the British Grand Prix um, when he was talking to, I think it was uh, Lawrence Barreto from from F1 themselves, um, maybe possibly suggesting some overreactions. And it was a, uh, then later talking to Sky F1, it was a hollow victory. You shouldn't celebrate. Um, what did you make of uh, Horner's reactions? Of course, the emotions will be would have been running high um, at that a point. A lot of what. Christian Horner said we didn't hear much of. The only thing we heard was when they were talking to Michael Massey and um, and Jonathan Wheatley was on on the the FIA radio. We we heard some of that. Um, we got we got many boos when they were inciting a penalty for Hamilton. Um, but you know we 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 didn't hear you know any of the interviews of what he was talking to on sky because obviously we we don't get access to that kind of footage because it's shown purely on sky um so from that sort of side of things we didn't hear too much we we knew they were angry we knew that they were very very angry because we did hear parts of that um but you know i feel like what are your thoughts in the days prior I just feel like they, they need to take a step back. I mean, Lewis, yes, he's had many incidents in the past. I think if you're a racing driver and you haven't had an incident, are you really a racing driver? I mean, we see it all the time. Like drivers have little bangs of wheels and, you know, one driver comes off worse than the other. We see it all the time. You know, we, we saw it where, you know, nearly both Hask drivers nearly wiped each other out in Baku. But, you know, for him to be quite aggressive with how he's uh, sort of said what he said. I feel like he might just need to take a step back because Max Verstappen has been no saint in Formula One, especially within the first, you know, two, three years. Coming up through Toro Rosso. You know, yeah. he was having accident after accident after accident. I mean, Sebastian Vettel, you know, used to complain about him weaving over the track and then weaving across the track into a braking zone. You know, Max has had a lot of controversy as well. And I feel like at times where, you know, Max has been sort of a golden boy, I feel like a lot of people have forgotten that. And, you know, again, Lewis, very much the same. He had a lot of incidents, you know, when he was fighting for the championship with Felipe Massa and years after. But, you know, at some point you got to, like, take a minute and think. I think a lot of things are said in heat at the moment. But I think if you ask, you know, a hundred people, a lot of people are going to say Hamilton was at fault and a lot of people are going to say Max is at fault and a lot of them are going to say racing incident. But 
I think you have to draw a line somewhere and just sort of say, right, we need to move on. And at the minute, Red Bull don't seem to be wanting to do that. No, but the one thing that they did do and the whole grid has stood with um, and the whole rate, the message before every race that's, um, you know, reinforced is they race as one and that's against any form of racism or LGBT uh, discrimination, anything like that. And Hamilton, after the race, from Red Bull fans and even um, across some other fan camps, if you like, it's getting racist abuse. And we've seen it with the English football team off the back of the the Euros final. Um, it doesn't surprise me, Chris. I guess it doesn't wouldn't surprise you either, but it, it's kind of it like... Do, it don't surprise me. It just disappoints. Yeah. Um, We're in 2021, you know, I, for goodness sake, you know. I think if you've got, you know, something to say, but it's derogatory because of the way they are, the way they look you know, their, their own thoughts, then keep it to yourself. Like, you can have one thing, like, think one thing and, like, not say it. I mean, I know I've got a few friends that are very much not Hamilton fans and they very much agree that what was said and has been said is absolutely disgusting. They still say he's, you know, quite arrogant, they don't like him and, you know, think he's a bit of an idiot. But that's because... They just think, like they just don't like Lewis Hamilton. That's completely fine to not like somebody. But well, they know like, where, they know where to draw the line. Most importantly, exactly. Yeah. But they don't go and say, oh, you know, I don't like him because of such and such, and oh, he's such and such. You know, this is why he's doing this or anything like that. You know, there is no racial motive for what they're saying. They're just saying. They just don't like Lewis Hamilton, which is fair enough. And, you know, people are allowed to have their opinions. I mean, even Lewis Hamilton will say, you know, he's not going to be everyone's fan. But the ones that are his fans, you know, he loves to pieces. So, you know, and the people, you know, I think Red Bull said said their message that they put on social media quite well. Well, it was it was, you know, it was almost asked, the first message. It was it was quick to see the it was. response, you know, that quick. Um, but they're, they're saying anybody that, are saying anything like this you, you ain't true fans mm. like, and it's mm. not it's, it's a lot of keyboard warriors yeah just trying to like incite things that really have already happened it's still very much the heat at the moment i mean it, it happened within the first 48 hours after everything had happened so i feel like if you look back you you, you it's, it's never gonna get go, get rid of like you're never gonna get rid of it because people will just find another reason just to say something stupidly and that's that's the sad thing about you know the way of the world at the minute but that i feel like they need to keep going on and doing what they're doing because hopefully one day you know people like lewis hamilton or bakayo saka jaden sancho marcus rashford won't have to keep fighting for everybody else and themselves you know and everybody will be able to respect each other for who they are, what they are, and everything in between. And it's quite disappointing that, you know, even now we're still having to talk about it and justify why they need to do what they're doing with, you know, the whole kneeling down and and everything like that. It's quite sad that, you know, years after, you know, they did it in the NFL that we're still having to fight for this just basic human right for them. Yeah. 
No, of course. Um, and it comes off the back of Hamilton's, you know, uh, commission into diversity in the sport. So it just again puts a it puts a massive taint on all of that. But you know, we're not going to take notice of it because it doesn't need to be taken notice of, and we just need to ignore them. And the, I think the people you know that, that do these things need to be dealt with, and that, that comes with all action across all sports. And I think there is more and more pressure um, on government to to actually enact something and. And for other governments to join in as well. But um, yeah, hopefully we don't see this again. But I, I, I would be very regretful to say that it probably won't be the last time. Um, anyway, moving on for the rest of the news. Mick Schumacher driving his dad's Jordan car from 1991 uh, at a special test around Silverstone in the days following the Grand Prix. And the images of seeing Michael's son in that car that he did the test with, with Eddie Jordan around Spa-Francorchamps, the track he'd never driven before and qualified seventh on the grid that very that very uh, Grand Prix weekend, uh, the, the week afterwards, the week after that test. What an amazing moment for Mick. Yeah, it's um, Mick's been very fortunate to drive some of his dad's cars. Um, you know, we saw him drive the 2004 Ferrari, for instance, um, and a, a few other of his dad's world championship winning cars. And, as a son of a legend you're you're not gonna you know not take this opportunity you, you know it's such a iconic moment for the sport you know and and it does bring a tear to a lot of people's eyes seeing you know mick driving his dad's car you know this car was the car that started it all off for him um so yeah it was very it was very good to to see that and the best thing was his instagram caption being i mean my dad's car <laughs> broom broom <laughs> So, yeah, it was great to see, and uh, I'm glad that Mick's having fun with it. Yeah, and it'd be great to see him try to gain some performance out of out of the Haas car, and who knows, he might be moving up to Alfa Romeo. There's some rumours going around there um, for the next season. Um, all to play for, and hopefully we can see Mick trying to emulate um, his father's footsteps in the next few years in the sport. Um, but love, all those lovely moments to see when classic cars are driven, especially when it's uh, in the family too. Um, final bit of news we'll finish on. Of course, we had the reveal of the uh, 2022 car, the concept of the chassis of next year's car under the new regulations, which is going to be basically promoting much closer racing and trying to eliminate um, the following of cars getting really dirty air from the car in front and making it really hard to overtake and and causing overheating of the of the car that is trying to do that overtake. So lots of things coming in, Chris, on on that car. Certain features which are looking to promote that closer racing and they've really sort of taken time to research it and, and in the wind tunnel and, and make a conscious effort to do this. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen in the hybrid era, you know, particularly with Mercedes, where if they're out in front, they can pull away, nobody else can live with them. But then when they're like battling with cars, they can't follow. And again, that just leads to not very interesting racing because they're like, well, we're just going to stay there for the rest of the race. So I think, having something where you know it reduces dirt yeah allows cars to get closer you know and allows for more overtaking potentially i think that can only work um better for the for the sport and we, we want to see overtakes i mean we, we saw plenty that happened at silverstone we've seen plenty that happen you know all, all around the tracks that we've raced at so far and that's what's made this season such a good season we have seen plenty of overtakes and you know everything's very close um 
so by doing this hopefully it just makes it that little bit closer and hopefully we have a few more teams able to fight as well yeah and certain features on the car like so the things that have been considered to make this car um more competitive against other cars um the rear wing design of of, of, i'll just say it again the rear wing design dramatically reduces dirty air by 31 percent compared to the um the current model of a formula one car so um cars will be be able to follow that's within 20 meters much much closer and the effect is even greater um when you're within 10 meters of following the car and uh, of course at that point going for the pass um up the inside or around the outside of course uh like our podcast here um there are going to be overwheel winglets as well to guide the airflow over the whole body of the car so that when the by the time the air reaches the back of the rear wing there's a lot more cleaner and less disrupted air which makes of course creates less drag and it makes the car go faster uh, 18 inch wheels are part of this as well it's going to reduce the amount of the tires overheat by of course then allowing for harder racing um, drivers theoretically not having to look after their tires as much um, and then of course there'll be less of this uh, dirty air which will cause um, cars to overheat at the moment if the tires don't overheat as well that's a double effect there so that's going to be uh, really interesting to see and uh, a good a good improvement there uh, from wing shape um, as well i'll say that again because that sounded like rubbish the front wing shape as well uh, has been dramatically improved to um well enhance downforce and airflow which has been likened to chase carey's moustache who uh, was the director of formula one's taken a, um, a step behind the scenes now the non-executive director um but very much implementing his thoughts on the uh, on on the new cars for f1 uh, 2022 and they're going to be using the same power units as well as they're already pretty advanced and at a good point now with good reliability if you remember the first time the first hybrid race we had in 2014 in australia we weren't sure whether the cars were going to make it around the track and obviously a lot of retirements there were because people the teams were still figuring out how to configure these power units and and obviously make all the different components work with each other because it wasn't just one engine anymore it was it was just the it was the ERS. We had the energy recovery from the turbo as well, the heat recovery, um, and the the braking as well, and then the batteries to make them all work in harmony. So they've got to a point now, obviously, where we've been racing for a number of years in the hybrid era, and teams are very much on top of it, like they were with the V8s uh, too. It's just a matter of evolution, and they've got to that point now. Um, but no need to sort of change that. They're pretty comfortable there. And finally, there's going to be some biofuel used, um, which will be used to work towards zero carbon racing in the future, kind of the next five, ten years in Formula One. And kind of it seems the next logical step for Formula One, because, of course, we have Formula E as a series, which is, very, of course, very much focusing on fully electric racing, Chris. But then to kind of the only other option and... Um, Technical, technological advancement that Formula One can sort of go down and promote is the biofuel route. And at the end of the day, we have motorsport to entertain us, but it's also used as, you know, it's the peak of engineering to try and improve our road cars and our everyday life as well. Yeah, I mean, you hear about it quite a lot on uh, when you watch uh, Sky, for instance, that a lot of, you know, Ferrari, for instance, a lot of their technology goes onto their road cars. And it's the same for mercedes in turn, all the other companies worldwide, be Peugeot, obviously, with the World Endurance Championship, uh, Citroen, Rally, they're all getting their cars better for road use. 
And yeah, you know, I think the UK government said that they want all hybrid or electric cars by twenty thirty. So by F one doing what they're doing now is very much a stepping stone for what we eventually will drive on the roads. And, you know, we've seen quite a lot of hybrid and electric cars on the roads nowadays anyway, because uh, I don't know about you, but I see I see nearly a Tesla every day I'll go out on the road. Yeah, they're so fast as well. They literally, like, they're alongside you and they, they look, let's be honest, they're not the most beautiful cars, but they'll just sit next to you and you're in your 1.2 engine and you, you go to put the foot, you put your foot down to go up to 70 or whatever on, on, on the main motorways. And they do the same, and and they're just gone like <laughs> in double in double the time quicker. And the worst thing is, you, you wouldn't have heard it either. No, it's just off in off in a flash, and you have no idea where they are either. Um, but no, so it's it's great to see Form One R picking up some sort of the um, efficiency um, developments as we go into the future with with the sport as well, which is only a good thing for improvements in in everyday life, as I said, for for us and going into our cars in the future and biofuels, of course, reusing. Um, certain things within our world and recycling and not creating loads of waste that we can't use to reproduce and reuse again. That's the way the world is going, of course, and the most um, efficient way to do things. Right, that's all the news for, for this week in Formula One. Um, we've got a week's break now until we get to the Hungarian Grand Prix, but we're going to we're gonna kind of put that preview into another episode so we can approach that near the time when there's more um, you know more news to talk about previewing the grand prix and um we might have heard some some new driver changes um developments in teams you know so we're just going to give it a bit of time to breathe and then hopefully we can react to it um a lot more close to the time rather than predicting things going forward so um that's it for this episode of around the outside it's been jake peach here with chris moss thanks very much for listening we'll see you next time here on around the outside take care